Hello, it's Monday, January the 31st. This is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail newsroom. Coming up... How to live to 100, and it helps if you can stand on one leg for at least one minute. Stay tuned. Rafa Nadal becomes the first and most successful tennis player of all time, male, by winning a 21st Grand Slam. Are mandatory vaccines for the NHS workers to be scrapped? Boris Johnson's talking about bringing forward a Brexit's freedom bill. But first and foremost, finally, the Sue Gray report, you know who she is, has been presented to Downing Street and the Prime Minister has addressed the House of Commons, albeit the report was in a redacted form. Finally, and at long last, Sue Gray's report, albeit a truncated version, has been published. It's been handed to the Prime Minister. It does not mention Boris Johnson by name. It doesn't even use the expression Prime Minister in the report. Uh, It seems to me unlikely to trigger the downfall of Boris Johnson. Perhaps the police investigation will do that or the fully published Sue Gray report. John Stevens is our deputy political editor and joins me now. John, um, when I read it, I thought, is that it? Yeah, all of the juicy bits seem to have been taken out since the police said last week that they're investigating. You don't really find out too much detail about these parties that went on in Downing Street. There's a list of them. We now know which ones the police are looking into. And Sue Gray does make some general findings and what she thinks needs to change in Downing Street. But we don't really get the nitty gritty of what exactly went on last year. She talks about failures of leadership and judgment by different parts of Number 10 in the Cabinet Office, but doesn't apportion any blame as to where she thinks the failure of leadership and judgment uh, was from. And also she talks about the boozing culture. She's clearly very vexed about how much, well, she talks about excessive alcohol consumption. Yeah, and we know that she's a former landlady exactly. in Northern Ireland, but she says that... Um, excessive alcohol consumption in a professional workplace is not appropriate and it sounds like she's suggesting some sort of whitehall booze ban so that both officials and ministers can't get drunk in a lunch break we do know of course because we saw the photograph of the wine fridge being delivered uh, into number 10 i at some point during lockdown um, what we is clear, though, from this, John, is that there is no doubt whatsoever she has felt her hands are tied by the police investigation because she makes no attempt to uh, apportion blame on any individuals and absolutely nobody is named anywhere in the report. No, but I still think it is quite problematic for Boris Johnson. You know, we know about these 12 parties that yeah. are being looked at by the police. I mean, one of them is a party that's, held in the number 11 flat. We think that that was hosted by his wife, Carrie Johnson. And we know that four of the 12, we think Boris Johnson was actually there. So that's four of the events that have been investigated by the police. We think Boris Johnson was present. That's the Bring Your Own Booze party in the number 10 garden. Yeah, That's his birthday party in the cabinet room. Uh, that's a leaving due for one of his aides and a leaving due for another one of his aides. So I think that's still quite a moment that there are four events that Boris Johnson attended and now being investigated for potential wrongdoing. I thought potentially the most serious event of them all that she's identified, and we didn't know about some of these parties, John, not only were there 16, which is a lot more than we thought, um, but the party in the number 11 flat potentially hosted by Carrie Johnson, his wife. Now, we're not sure if the Prime Minister was there. We think that was the day that was to celebrate the departure of Dominic Cummings, the Chief 
advisor who's been throwing lots of stones at Boris Johnson ever since. Yeah, and that's a party that our colleagues in the Mail on Sunday done quite a bit of reporting on. Yes. On Sunday, they were saying that it was the winner-takes-it-all party, that they were like, blaring out the ABBA hit, that Carrie and her friends were celebrating because Dom Cummings and Lee Kane, his right-hand man, were leaving Downing Street. But we don't know if the Prime Minister was there. We don't know, no. That's one of the ones we're not so sure about. And just finally, John, number 10 in that Mail on Sunday report yesterday um, may, said flatly and bluntly on the record there was no party in the Downing Street flat that night. Yeah, that was the spokesman quote from Carrie spokesman, I think it was, actually. Right. Um, but obviously, if you've got all these different parties, we know Boris Johnson said it was that spots in the House of Commons, there weren't any parties and the rules were followed. And now it's looking very much like that that was not the case. Just, if I could just squeeze in one more question. Prime, we just saw Boris Johnson making a statement. He's apologised again. Uh, Keir Starmer, I don't think, was particularly impressive. Um, how much damage has this done regarding potentially um, votes of no confidence in him? Is it more likely as a result of this report today, John, or less likely? Well, because all the juicy bits have taken out, it doesn't seem like people are quite as angry as they could have been. But all of the things that Boris Johnson set out that he's going to do to react, creating an office as prime minister, creating a new civil servant role to run Downing Street, updating the code, it all seems a bit woolly. I think people will be waiting to see, does he ever clear out of senior aides in the next few days? And does he kind of really get on the front foot to look like he's actually changing how number 10 operates? Absolutely. That's uh, John Stevens, who is the deputy political editor of the Daily Mail. Of course, there'll be four reports on this in the Daily Mail tomorrow and, of course, on Mail Plus. So Boris Johnson has vowed a plan to overhaul EU laws which were copied over after Brexit are going to take place and he wants to encourage businesses to invest in the UK. Writing in the Daily Mail, the Prime Minister said a Brexit freedom bill will make it easier to change literally thousands and thousands of EU-era regulations that remain in force. Sir John Redwood is the Conservative MP for Wokingham and who was a leading figure in the campaign to get Britain out of the European Union. Sir John, always welcome. We should be grateful that he's doing what he's doing. Some people would say, shouldn't this have happened a little sooner? I agree. We need to get on with this. Uh, I'm glad the Prime Minister has got round to it. But we don't just want a process bill, which is what I think this is, we also need the real examples. We want to start making the changes that will make a difference. So I'm recommending that at the same time as they put through this piece of legislation, uh, they show willing by actually getting rid of some of the taxes, impositions and rules that the EU imposed on us that we don't want and do us harm. What sort of taxes are you thinking of? Well, I would immediately get rid of the VAT on green products. Right. I just cannot believe that this government, 13 months into our freedom and claiming to be the greenest government ever, has still got VAT on boiler controls, insulation, draft excluder, and a number of new green products. Surely they want to promote these. They want to help us get down our energy bills. So that coming off that must be a no-brainer. I would then follow it up with taking VAT off fuel altogether. It was very contentious when it came in. It then was a requirement of the EU. Uh, we no longer have that requirement. Bills are going to go through the roof in April anyway, so let's make it a bit easier for people by taking the VAT off the fuel. 
People talk about the VAT on fuel as well, Sir John, where you would think 5% on my domestic bill, but people, I think they often forget that commercial companies can pay VAT on their energy of up to 20%, and that must be passed on to the customer. Well, indeed, and one of the problems of not exploiting North Sea oil and gas properly, where I think we need to get more of our own fuel out of our reserves and, and allowing these prices to get even higher than they need have done, uh, we are in danger of losing yet more of our heavy fuel using businesses. I mean, if you want to produce glass or steel or cement uh, or a number of other products, they're very energy intensive and you still have to burn gas for that or, or in some cases even coal. Uh, and until you've changed all the processes, you simply lose the business if the energy costs are too high. It doesn't save the planet because, of course, the fuel is burnt somewhere else and you import the product. What of other issues, Sir John? One of the great totemic issues um, which was um, fought over during Brexit was fishing, fishermen's rights. We've, we've left two years ago. Uh, we've still got some, a huge dispute with France. I read at the weekend, and if it's true, that France is no longer going to take legal action against Britain. Are we delivering the, 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 the promised uh, uh, utopia for fishermen that you thought perhaps we might be getting when we left the European Union? No, we're not, Andrew, and and I wanted to get on to regulations as well as taxes. Um, I would actually introduce a new regulation in fishing. I I would ban the um, super large trawlers, the foreign vessels that come in and plunder our fishing grounds and and damage them uh, at no benefit to ourselves. Uh, We don't have those kind of vessels. But I would then also like our fishing regulations changed and improved Uh, to give more help and encouragement to the reconstruction of a decent British fishing fleet that can catch more of the fish that we do allow for our own consumption and processing. We need the added value here. We don't want these very large trawlers coming in from outside and just taking all the fish away. I mean, are you saying you would give financial assistance to enable that uh, uh, modernisation, enlargement of the fishing fleet? Yes, I think you, you, you could have a subsidy scheme or a loan soft loan scheme in order to get the the feet the fleet up and running with with more vessels I and mean, it was a tragic collapse of the fishing industry over our years in the european economic community which became the european union um we we see a shadow of our former fleet in, in many of the the great english fishing ports and even the scottish fishing ports have suffered pretty badly as well so we do need to review those regulations and to make them much more friendly to the expansion uh, of a sensible size of boat for domestic purposes. Um, There are lots of other regulations, and I think take the port directive, uh, sorry, the the actual port regulations directly acting, which all our ports opposed at the time and the government opposed, and we were simply overridden by the European Union. Why don't we simply abolish that? And while we're about it, we're developing free ports. Let's have free ports in Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales, as well as in England. Northern Ireland in particular, it would help cut through the difficulties with trade and GB Northern Ireland uh, uh, issues. Uh, And we need a free port system where there are proper tax reductions and regulatory easements on a bigger scale than they're currently envisaging. Michael, you just finally one of the huge and most contentious issues. Um, uh, I cheered when Boris said we we're going to get control of our borders when we vote for Brexit, which, of course, as you know, I did. 
when people look at what's happening across the channel most days, they think, how is that control of our borders? This Brexit's Freedom Bill, I'm quite sure will make no mention of that, but this is a really big issue for this government, Sir John Redwood, isn't it? It's a huge issue, um, and the government says the right things. It says it wishes to stop the illegal traffic, the exploitation of people by the um, people traffickers, the small boat business coming across the channel, break the business model. It also says it wants to greatly reduce economic migration for unskilled and low-skilled people and uh, create more jobs for, for people already resident legally in the United Kingdom. Uh, but it hasn't worked yet in, on a sufficient scale, and I think it does need legislative change. If, if you talk to the Home Secretary, she tells you that the bill she currently has going through both Houses of Parliament uh, will make it easier to enforce that policy, and let's hope she's right. But she's got the vehicle. She needs to make sure that she takes enough legal power so that we can crack down properly on these people smugglers and people traffickers. She'd have a job getting it through the House of Lords. Well, I'm bringing on their, their disagreement, I think, because it's a clear case where the Commons will speak to the public mood and where, in the end, the Commons will have the right to override. Indeed. That's Sir John Redwood, the Conservative MP for Wokingham, always tells it as it is, talking about Brexit's Freedom Bill, which apparently is going to make it a lot easier to get rid of many, many EU regulations. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free, in full, along with our podcasts and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So it caused howls of protest from the care home community when the rule requiring staff to be vaccinated was introduced and NHS workers were to be given an extension, but it was due to take effect by April. Now the government is seriously considering scrapping the rule because it would effectively take effect from Thursday when NHS workers would have to have their first jab. The government had been warned that the mandate could contribute to the already high number of NHS staff shortages. Currently, we think anywhere between 72,000 and 88,000 NHS staff have not been vaccinated. Quite why, I don't understand. On the line is Dr Rennie Hunderkamp, London GP and medical writer who whose words of wisdom regularly grace the pages of the Daily Mail. Dr. René, is this just um, real politique from the government in the end? They know if they impose this rule, there's going to be an even bigger exodus of staff. Absolutely, Andrew. I have said from the very start when they announced this in November that I didn't believe they would ever do it for that very reason, that they know that they cannot run the NHS with another 70 to 80,000 staff vacancies when they already have 100,000. So the question was always of when they would rescind this. And of course, they're taking it to the very deadline in the hope that many of those staff would have been pushed to vaccinate before they actually make the announcement. It's interesting. I imagine now that some care home workers who'd been in care homes who didn't want to be jabbed may have jumped ship and joined the NHS. Um, so they'll be able to stay. The The fact about this as well, Dr. N.A., is when the the ban, when the the man, the mandate was introduced for care homes, we did not know then, of course, that uh, that um, Omicron was not going to be anything like as lethal or deadly as the Delta variant. 
No, we didn't know that, Andrew. But what we did know by then was that the vaccines were not stopping infection and transmission. Mm. And surely if you're going to mandate that somebody has the vaccine rather than let it be their choice, and I always encourage people to get vaccinated. Mm. As you know, I've had the vaccine myself, but I believe in free choice. And I think if you're going to mandate it, two things have to be true. One is that it will stop infection and transmission, which it doesn't and hasn't. And two, that there is zero risk from taking it. Now, I don't mean little risks like a sore arm or a headache what I mean is serious risks and it doesn't matter how small they are Andrew those serious risks are there so it's down to an individual if they want to take that risk. The Also there is talk isn't there Dr Rene that by the end of March um, even if people uh, are, are positive with Omicron there could the government is actually actively talking about scrapping the need to isolate because so few people or fewer people anyway are getting really sick and I guess if you are sick you would stay home naturally anyway but if you've got COVID and the Omicron variant and you're not feeling any symptoms they're the people the government want to prevent having to isolate for five days or whatever it will be by then. Absolutely. And this goes all the way from school children who are still missing education, having to isolate when they do not have a single symptom. My daughter has been one of those. All the way up to workers who are running the country. And I'm actually writing about this in the mail tomorrow. We need to start treating Omicron for what it is, which for most people is a cold. Now, I accept that sadly for some people it will be more than that. But that's the case with any respiratory virus. And sadly, some people will always do much worse whether it's Omicron or another cold-like virus. So we need to get to the point where people are sensible and if they get symptoms, they stay at home. But if they're well enough, they carry on life and we carry on getting back to normal. Are we getting back to normal, Dr Rennie? Will we ever get back to normal? Is there going to be a new normal? I hope not. I want the old normal back, Andrew. I want to travel without any restrictions. I want to run my life without restrictions. I don't want to have to think about booking something in three weeks' time. I want spontaneity back in my life. And I think that's what most people want. I think as part of our social contract, we can ask people to be responsible and sensible when they are ill. And that means with any illness, including Omicron. Can I ask you just finally, because um, there's, there was a hue and a cry by some of the trade unions about um, the government no longer requiring children in school to wear masks and uh, you don't have to wear masks in various shops, but although if you, work, if you go on London transport, uh, you do have to wear a mask, although most people I see don't, including the staff. Uh, do you think the mask now is part of our daily life, our culture? When you leave home, you think keys, phone, wallet, mask. No, I absolutely don't. And Interesting. Be. Right. I, if there was any evidence to show me that masks did anything meaningful, then I would say yes, but there isn't. I say no. Well, that's interesting. So you've stopped wearing your mask, Dr. Rene? Yes. Oh, very interesting. And you're writing in the mail tomorrow? Yes, about this very how we get back to normal. We'll look forward to it. That's Dr. Rene Honderkamp, London GP, medical writer, and you can guarantee it'll be a terrific piece in the paper tomorrow too. So we're very nice to have got you a little earlier. Great to talk to you, Dr. Rene. Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatt was here. Big, big day in sport. What an event at, in Melbourne after all the dramas over Novak Djokovic not able to take part and his great rival pips him at the post for 21 grand slams. Rafa did it. Astonishing. An absolutely amazing final. Um, as you say, Rafa now goes to 21 grand slams uh, ahead of, uh, ahead of um, Federer and Djokovic, who are on 20. 
And, you know, you wouldn't have, you couldn't have predicted this no. one. I mean, uh, you know, even when Djokovic pulled out um, at the start, obviously, as we know, the whole rigmarole surrounding that, uh, I mean, Nadal was then sort of second favourite. But, you know, you just didn't think that maybe his body would cope with two weeks. he's had a lot of injuries. Loads of injuries with his knees and he hasn't played a lot and he had COVID. And so all this sort of stuff and really was the sort of, you know, the imperfect build up to, mm. uh, to, to one of the majors. But he was, I mean, and then to go two sets down in the final to the youngster, Medvedev, who yeah. won the US Open, yeah. who had been on great form, beat Sitsipas in the semi-final. Um, you know, was 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 favourite to win the sure. to win the final, um, and uh, you know, it looked really good to to then go two sets down. Um, yeah. To be able to then turn it round, um, 17 years after his first major, um, is just astonishing. And um, he was brilliant. And it was, uh, you know, you could see what it meant to him at the end. And every time you think that one of these old yeah, bodies is not going to be able to continue and it's the changing of the guard, they come along and prove you wrong. You know, we've had it before with people like Dominic Team who won a slam. Yeah. And, and then Medvedev, we thought, well, if he wins back-to-back majors, you know, this really is the changing of the guard. But no, these oldies won't go quite. And, and now Rafa, and the next one for Rafa, obviously, is the French. Which, which he'll probably win anyway, because he's won about 1,400 of those, he's hasn't he? He's won 13 French yeah. now, two Aussies, two Wimbledons, and four US Opens. Amazing. Um, he was greatly helped by the crowd, who I thought were a little unfair at times. Yeah, but except Medvedev has been so gnarly with them the whole way has through he? that he's, got, right. he's completely put them off him. So, oh, okay. you know, he was critical of the crowd throughout, really, in the, in the in the semi-final. He said they were, you know, some people were shouting stuff out, and he said they were brainless. So, I mean, if you're going to call some of the people who were in the crowd yeah. brainless idiots and stuff yeah. like that which he'd said in previous rounds then o- obviously odd, they're not considering he's one of the cleverest men on the tour isn't he doesn't he speak four or five languages yeah I but not so. very clever to insult the crowd no it's just seemed like really odd to the the one group of people you don't mm. want to make enemies of the yeah. sort of the the, the crowd and, but i mean i think even if he hadn't done that obviously what a story for nadal yeah. to come back and win it's a, so oh, it's a cracker it's he a was always going to be um he was always going to be the crowd favorite but yeah fantastic achievement and yeah it's probably not the end well we'll see but as you say massive favorite to win the French now and go to 23 and can Djokovic come back exactly. can Djokovic even play at the French well not unless he gets his, unless he gets jabbed there we go so you know he won't be able to play the US Open unless he gets jabbed or they change their mm. rules Wimbledon at the moment will let him in but um, it could be that we've seen the moment that someone finally confirms himself as the greatest ever very interesting. Now, talking of the greatest ever, Frank Lampard, he's the new manager at Everton and he's already signed a player. Well, he's, yeah, in the process. So he's now, uh, over the weekend, been confirmed as the new Everton manager. Massive job on his hands. You know, it is not an easy club to turn round. Um, they have a underperforming squad. Uh, they're, they, you know, they are in a relegation fight. He's already in the process, we think. Obviously, today is transfer deadline day, so all deals yep. have to be done by 11pm tonight. He's in the process of getting uh, the midfielder, Donny van der Beek, from Manchester United on loan. Great player. Bizarre career at Manchester United. They signed him for 40 million. Um, but it was a part of the Ajax team, brilliant Ajax team that got to the Champions League semi-finals a couple of years ago. They signed him for 40 million and gave him four starts. It's bizarre why they didn't uh, think he was good enough to play more regularly for a, let's face it, a faltering Manchester United side. But there's a very good player in there. So if he, if Frank can get the best out of him, uh, and uh, then he, you know, he could be on something at Everton. And he's surrounding himself by some good coaches as well, including uh, Clement, Paul Clement, who used to work at Chelsea. So he's right. surrounding himself with some good, uh, good wise coaches. So it could be uh, the start of happier times at Everton but we've probably said that before and we like Frank Lampard at least I do because yes I said before Matt about the only <laughs> one I would recognise now um, there's a player leaving Arsenal uh, one of the big names at Arsenal 
What's that about? Yeah, so meanwhile, um, meanwhile, Everton are getting players in. Arsenal seem to be just losing their players. As I say, it's transfer deadline day, so things will develop during the day. But uh, they're, they're finally cutting ties with their captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has fallen out with Mikel Arteta over his uh, over uh, Aubameyang's levels of indiscipline, turning up late for training, this Is sort of stuff. Is one who gave the interview somewhere? No, that was Lukaku, oh, but right. um, he basically has turned up late a couple of times. It's um, not what you expect from your captain. It's not what you expect. There must be more to it than meets the eye because, you know, this guy is one of their stellar players. Arsenal mm. are lacking in centre-forwards, so there must have been more behind the scenes. Um, but they've basically fallen out to the extent where they're now shipping him out to Barcelona on loan, leaving Arsenal very light, as we stand now, uh, very light in attack. So we'll see whether they get someone in before the end of the day. We'll tell you all about it later in the week. Are you very distressed? It's your team after all. Fairly distressed. I mean, right. I think he's right to take a stance against these players if they're misbehaving. Mm. Um, but I would like to have seen a replacement come in before we ship all these right. players out. But um, I don't suppose he's going to end up at my team, Swindon Town, is he? Not yet. No. I think he'd need to be about 55 before he goes to Swindon. <sighs> Probably thought so. And now this is a, a, a harrowing story. The Manchester United star, Greenwood, uh, suspended by United after that video appeared. He's been questioned by the police. Yeah, been arrested yesterday, um, taken into custody. What's his first name? I've got Mason. 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 Uh, as you say, horrific story. Uh, the young girl in question Innocent was until proven guilty, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, and the young girl was clearly distressed. Put this. Um, uh, the, the images out on social media, which were horrific. She says she was hacked. We believe her, of course. Now saying hacked, and the father has come out and said it is very distressing, and she's very distressed by it all. And it, you know, obviously, yes, it remains to be seen whether she presses charges. Uh, but obviously, that the police can take it into their own hands. And there, we don't know, but it would appear there's plenty of evidence there that something mm. untoward has happened. So it's really, I mean, this Mason Green was is a wonderful footballer, but clearly there, or. Well, it would seem he has issues going on. He he was called up to the England squad I remember this. back end of last year. Got sent home, didn't he? Because he was home breaking in, lockdown rules exactly. with but girls in a hotel. Icelandic girls into a room with mm. Phil Foden and mm. two Icelandic girls. And he got sent home and his grace didn't play. Now, interestingly, Phil Foden, since that point, has played 12 times for England. He's been welcomed back into the England fold. Mason Greenwood has not mm. appeared for England in, the, uh, in that period now read into that what you will but that would suggest that gareth southgate doesn't think that there's a a, a player there that he can trust at the highest level and he hasn't played a huge mm. amount for manchester united either so well and he's suspended by united not not allowed to train not allowed to play and if there is any evidence to it i rather hope charges are brought Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's where we're at at the moment. He won't play, won't train, and a couple of his teammates have stopped following him on social media, ah. interestingly. Uh, Ronaldo, of course, gave an interview recently where he criticised some of the young players at Manchester United and said they didn't listen, they weren't willing to work hard, and they weren't coming to him or listening to his and advice. thought he was one of those in his sights. Who knows? He's a young player who plays at Manchester United, so you mm. can put two and two together. Amazing, these boys. They have the world at their feet. He's been playing with Manchester United, I think, since he was age six. Yeah. And te- potentially his whole career is over. Yeah, and he's earning, you know, huge sums of money. He's got a whole, as you say, the world at his feet, you know, in England international, regular yeah. England international. And uh, and we'll see what happens. But yeah. yes, it's a very, uh, well, horrific story. All right, that's Matt Gatwood, um, who's very t- depressed about Arsenal again. <laughs> Swindon are seventh in Division Two now. I know you didn't get around to asking, but they are. They're seventh, yeah. No, I'm pleased for them. That's that's yeah. that's up up from last week, so that's good. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. Goodbye. You. Thank you. Who wants to live to a hundred? Because if you do, stay listening because we can tell you how to improve your chances of getting your telegram 
from the Queen or, of course, the King. Research into the science of anti-aging tells us it's never too late to make changes in your life to slow down the ageing process. Now, Colin Rose is a senior associate at the Royal College of Medicine and writes in the Mail today about the secrets to living to 100. And I'm delighted to say he's sharing those secrets. Uh, Colin, um, a lot of this is about the uh, Japanese island of Okinawa, where there are more than their normal share of people living to 100 and more. Yes, that's that's right. The There are places called blue zones around the world. It, it isn't actually, to be fair, only Japan, but that is probably the place. Uh, various places in the Mediterranean have equally equally good numbers of centenarians who live yeah. not just to 100, but well and healthily to 100. Yes, I mean, Okinawa is, is particularly famous because... Um, they have, and you won't be surprised, quite largely a plant-based diet. Um, they have oily fish. Um, and in particular, they have a lifestyle uh, that is really conducive to, to living a long and healthy life. I think we're all necessarily, it's the length of life, isn't it? It's health uh, extension, if you like, health yeah. span that we're all after. And they eat, they eat lots of low-fat, low-salt diet, fruit, vegetables, tofu, seaweed. Not much red meat there. There isn't much red meat. Um, there is, you know, I know this won't be news to people, but one of the things I think we don't generally appreciate, why is it in red meat? It's, there's something in it called heme, um, uh, which is like uh, particularly associated um, with, with iron, and iron, as some people may know or not, uh, is <clears throat> is an inflammatory generally. Um, apart from obviously women before the menopause, um, iron is one of the things you don't want much of. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, supplements should not include iron unless they're specifically for younger women. Um, uh, that's one of the reasons for this for the the fact that you know meat is or red meat in particular is generally not advised one of the things you 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 recommend this is following the uh, okinawan approach it's called yes. forgive my pronunciation hara hachi boo and one of the sta- one of the staples of this approach is do not eat till you're full eat till you're 80 percent full and if you eat slowly and concentrate on your food it yes. takes 10 minutes for hormones to register that you're full yep. up. Um, so don't do what, have your dinner in front of a TV, eat or read. You've got to make the whole thing uh, almost a performance and take your time over it. Yes, because it takes the, the various hormones that kick in um, that, that work, what are called satiety hormones yeah um, they tell you when you've had enough and they don't kick in for a, about 10 minutes so you gobble your food yeah right if you don't concentrate on your food and what you're uh what you're eating and, and the level you've got to it's so easy to overeat um so this harahajibu um i know when i wrote the book my wife said yes but that's all very well how can you tell when you're 80 percent yes <laughs> we don't have a fuel gauge um, basically, it's when you you think to yourself, I've had enough, mm. you know, rather than I'm now full. Yeah. You, you don't want to be full. You want to be semi-full, right? Yeah. Um, 
So, so that's one thing. Um, the 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 other thing uh, is that these Okinawans, in particular, they have another phrase which is to do with uh, reason to get up in the morning. You know, staying positive, staying engaged with life. Now, I, I think you know, I'm actually 81 myself, right? Um, and I still work because I really enjoy the research on health, health and nutrition generally. Um, and I have a reason to get up in the morning because I, you know, I really, really enjoy doing the research. Um, you know, I'm doing you know, some fairly complicated research as well, you know, from the scientific text, but trying to bring it into everyday language. Fascinating. And just finally, I want you to explain the flamingo test. Um, because <laughs> the flamingo so test, this obviously. is where uh, you, th- this is the benefits of standing on one leg as a simple way to improve balance and you yep. very helpfully explained that um, uh, if you're doing well if you can keep your eyes open for 41 seconds on one leg closed for for, for eight seconds if you're between yep. 60 and 69 and yep. so on what is the yep. ben- wh- why is it more difficult or more beneficial why is it more difficult to keep your stand on one leg with your eyes closed than with your eyes open because you don't you don't have any um uh place to look at right which which sort of like uh it's a feedback on okay where you are right and generally you know why is it for example that um you so often hear somebody, uh, you know, quite old, has a fall, and yes. from then onwards, yes. you know, their health goes spirals down. It does, yeah. Yeah, um, and that's to do with balance, um, which, in fact, interestingly, is to, to do with the inner ear, um, which is also why balance and loss of hearing go together. You know, very right. often yeah. people, older people, have, have poorer balance, and they're not so good at hearing. Um, and so that is a very good test. It's not only a good test of how healthy you are and how likely you are to live, you know, well into your 90s and maybe 100, uh, still feeling very well, Um, but the the actual act of doing it, balancing. I do, for example, I'm brushing my teeth at night. I I know it sounds odd. I stand on one leg, right? so some of these things in, in the book um, aren't not at all, they're not expensive or anything, they cost nothing, but they, they all go together. So to reinforce the point I just made, there's no magic bullet uh, in staying healthy to your hundred. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of, of, of eating, it's a combination of exercise, Yes, of course, you need to keep exercising and a bit of strength exercising. You know, it, it's also important. I, I so much remember a very, very good friend of mine who did indeed die well before his time. Um, and he was saying, oh, you know, I've just lost my strength, Colin. Well, you know, there are some simple strength exercises that people of my age can do. That's important. It, it isn't only getting out, getting the oxygen. Absolutely. Into your, yeah. Well, you've you convinced me. I'm now going to brush my teeth every morning and every evening, <laughs> Colin Rose, on one leg. Does it matter which leg, or should you swap them over each no. day? Well, I, I, I think you should swap them over. That's an interesting, I've never seen the research, but I suspect you should swap them over, yeah. 
Fascinating. That is Colin Rose, who's a senior associate at the Royal College of Medicine. Fascinating piece in the paper today and been fascinating on the podcast on tips to living to 100 and actually just living a lot healthier as we get older. Very good tips too. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I am Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'm going to be back with you tomorrow, so have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.